0: Hey everybody, welcome! Our special guest today, is Sam Bankman-Fried. Oh, just kidding. We didn't get there. Uh, <laughs> wrong show. Uh, but hey, welcome to the back room and the green room of Disrupt TV. Here with my awesome co-host, Bala Afshar, our producer, Hannah Hawk, and more importantly, we're going to talk to our awesome guest chair. So, uh, going in reverse order, Richard. What are we talking about today? And where are you calling in from?
1: Yeah, we're we're talking about leadership today, and I'm calling in from Rochester, Minnesota. It's where I work at Mayo Clinic
0: the home of the Mayo Clinic. Amazing. Awesome. Tiffany, where are you calling from? What are we talking about today?
2: Uh, I'm calling in from Los Angeles, California. It's raining today and we're going to talk about the state of sales. (laughs) Yeah, I know it's raining. Who thunk? (sighs) Crazy. We, never can rains our, in my life. we can turn our sprinklers back on. It's very exciting.
0: <laughs> you going to wipe that oil from your windshield wipers first. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right, cool. All right. Well, very cool. So, And then, of course, we'll be talking about the CXO Business Confidence Survey, Constellation Research Produced. We'll give a little bit of some insights there. And then, of course, we will wrap it up. So, Hannah, all yours.
2: All righty. Three, two, one. <music>
3: Welcome. Thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. It's weird to see myself without hair. My name is Vala Afshar, Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce, and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send uh, your questions to Ray myself and our distinguished guests in the field of blue check verified will answer Uh, it's my pleasure to introduce you to my co-host will answer all of them it's my pleasure to introduce you to my co-host ray wong he's the ceo founder of constellation research he's the best-selling author of everybody wants to rule the world surviving thriving in the world of digital giants i see him on tv every day i see him on fox business yahoo finance bloomberg cnbc I think he's one of the top futurists. You can follow on Twitter at rwang 0 Welcome, Ray Wong, to Disrupt TV.
0: Hey, thanks a lot. I'm here with my awesome co-host, co-founder. Follow Aftron, the chief digital evangelist for Salesforce, He's also the author of *The Pursuit of Social Business Excellence*, and executives around the world pay attention to every one of his inspirational and insightful tweets. When he's not hosting, keynoting, or leading events at Salesforce, you can find him speaking on business TV outlets like Bloomberg, and more importantly, posting insightful analyses on ZDNet. So, but it's not about us; it's always about our amazing guests. And of course, we have a comeback.
3: Who do we have here? Listen, you know, uh, I have uh, you know your book, but I get limited distribution copies. Of our next, of our next. Yeah. So one of the advantages of being uh, one of her mentees is I get I get advanced copies of her book. Uh, Tiffany Bova, chief growth evangelist at Salesforce, an awesome company, author of a Wall Street Journal, best-selling both book, Growth IQ. And again, I, I, I was probably one of the top 100 people to read it, uh, and host of What's Next podcast with Tiffany Bova. Celebrated keynote and member of the Thinker's 50 list, the last two times the list has been published. Uh, Tiffany inspires people to think forward and be bold and take action. Uh, Tiffany was named one of 2020's top uh, virtual keynote speakers by ReadWrite and is guest on Bloom just like yourself, guest on Bloomberg, BNN, CNBC, Yahoo Finance, Again, makes the rounds on all the big media outlets. She contributes to publications like Huffington, I'm sorry, uh, Harvard Business Review, Forbes Entrepreneur, and many other publications. Her podcast, What's Next with Tiffany Boba, is an iTunes all time business management bestseller and a top sales podcast. In fact, breaking news, she's working on a second book. Tiffany is a top Twitter influencer, was named one of Inc. Magazine 37 sales experts you need to follow on Twitter. I follow Tiffany and LinkedIn top sales experts to follow. I follow her on LinkedIn and the top 100 woman in tech and one of the most powerful and influential women in California and perhaps Hawaii. Probably both states. <laughs> prior, prior to working at Salesforce, she was a distinguished uh, analyst and a research fellow. You can probably count the number of fellows at Gartner on one hand. On Twitter, you can follow Tiffany at Tiffany underscore Bova. So clearly, an early adopter. Welcome back to the Disrupt TV, Tiffany.
2: Thank you for having me. It was so great to see the opening video, and I was in it. So thank you, guys. <laughs> we know how to market the show. We know <laughs> That's awesome. We know all the
3: yeah. big minds. We know all the big. Minds.
0: All the big minds, the big thinkers, right? And and you're definitely one of those thinkers, 50. One of the things that you've been talking about for quite some time is really about growth, right? And there are growth trends that are popping up. So the real question is, what are those growth trends that are popping up for 2023? Where it looks like we're going from a culture of abundance to a culture of scarcity very, very quickly. But is that true? Or is growth still in the mindset of everybody?
2: So it's a great question. And and one I ponder often. I I can say this, as Vala mentioned, uh, I had the book Growth IQ that published a couple of years ago. I mean, it was 10 paths to growth, but lo and behold, um, I pretty much had left employee out of the book uh, altogether. I spoke about it a little bit in the customer experience chapter, but I by no means gave it the full sort of topic coverage that it really required. So it was a couple of years ago, I was standing on stage and in uh, Canada. And I said, I didn't think it was a coincidence that Salesforce is a great place to work according to, you know, great place to work lists across the globe. If it's not number one, it's in the top five, one of the most innovative companies in the world and the fastest growing enterprise software company. That connection between those things I felt was fairly obvious and many people had said it for decades. Um, But I hadn't really seen a whole lot of it to show the proof that causation or the direct correlation between that happy employee leads to happy customer, leads to greater growth. And I think since the pandemic, the great resignation, quiet quitting, whatever you wanna call it, mm. you know, companies have started to spend far more time and attention on making sure that they can get their employees satisfied and engaged in multiple ways. So I feel like that is something that has come into focus for organizations around the world. And, and that's really where I've been spending my time uh, when I start talking about growth.
3: So, uh, and you led, um, so one was, one, it was a realization that an amazing best-selling book, I think it, it's funny, like, I don't know if this is like trivia, but I think it's like the best business book in Korea right now.
2: <laughs> uh, you know, this <laughs> is
3: <just> like, what? <laughs> was, was that on your bingo card, Korean it best-selling was. book? It <laughs> was, it was, it was. <laughs> okay, so that's how much success you've had, I mean, people around the world are, they're actually universities teaching classes based on the book now, which is just like stunning. Um, not surprising, but, you know, again, when you're going through the process, I'm sure you're not thinking this is going to be, you know, mainstream curriculum for the other side of the world or, or everywhere around, around the globe. So you recognize that, okay, I, I, I gave these 10 important chapters to fuel growth, but I missed or I didn't give enough justice to the employee portion. So you led a fairly extensive research. I think, you know, it was Ellermann, Columbia University, Stanford University, a bunch of folks that are you know expert research organizations, and you guided them to better understand and quantifiable uh, measure, uh, uh, like you said, correlation, causation, of because uh, I mean, we've heard this, you know, happy customers, you know, at, at start with happy employees, happy employees, talk, yeah. yeah, talk about that that research and. Uh, you know, um, what were the aha's? Were, any surprises in the findings?
2: Yeah, what? What? I want to be really clear here. There's so much to employee that human resources manages, but I really wanted to focus on that moment that matters between when an employee touches a customer, whether that's in the products that they design, whether that's the web pages that they design, whether it's a call center, a sales rep, marketing materials, whatever that may be. That moment that matters is when an employee needs to deliver those compelling and amazing experiences that, by the way, we've been talking about for decades. You know, I was mm-hmm. part of the team at Gartner that made the prediction that the chief marketing officer would spend more than the chief information officer on technology. And it was like blasphemy when we said it. <laughs> Everyone's like, absolutely no way, never gonna happen. We didn't say it for technology's sake. We said it because we knew customer experience was going to be this category that brands were going to start to compete against as products became more commoditized. Not on high-end, complex, long sales cycle kinds of solutions uh, or products being sold, but really, where can that you know experience make a difference? You know, and I usually say, you know, if you went to a restaurant and the food was spectacular but the service was terrible, mm-hmm. would you go back? You know if you were in an uber car right do you remember what you paid for the uber ride or do you remember was the driver too talkative or the car was smelly or the music was too loud you always remember that experience sort of longer and we make decisions every day in that way so how do we create an environment for employees to do that so as Vala mentioned we went out and did us-based research and then we went out and did global research and lo and behold um, we found that brands that got it right got had a 1.8x faster growth rate than those that didn't get that connection of employee and customer correct. And wow. it's not in things like compensation. Most of it, you know, we could talk about this for hours, but most of it was in tools. The average enterprise has 900 or so apps and only 27, 28% of them are integrated, which means your employees are having to do so much more effort to do their job and more importantly, to serve those customers.
3: 1.x, 1. 1.8x. 1. Wow. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And then we had one retail study, and it was a 1,000 retailers. Uh, they have a 1,000 storefronts across the US. There's only a handful of stores that have that in the US, so you can probably figure out who it is. But when they really honed in on improving what the store personnel, the tools they used, the training they had, the shifts they had, the manager training that was in place, they saw a 50% increase in revenue per hour per head. So it was significant.
3: So if I recall, one of the findings was that if you're not employ, if you're not focusing on the employee experience, you could be leaving as much as 50% revenue on the table. Um, and, and I, you know, I, I shared that stat with several, you know, trusted advisors and some of them thought it could be even more, which was surprising to me because I thought the number was pretty big
2: <laughs> to begin with. Well, you know, what's interesting is, is here's what I normally hear. Well, if it's so obvious, why hasn't everybody been doing it? Yeah. And We don't really have anyone who looks at employee experience in totality. And I'll just pick Salesforce as an example. Look, I started by saying, right, great place to work, most innovative company, fastest growing enterprise software company. We only stood up an employee experience team eight months ago. Mm -hmm. So we have employee success. We have a strong HR organization, obviously, as a great place to work. We pride ourselves on great culture but still you're always looking for ways to improve. And the pandemic absolutely shined a light more collectively and broadly across the market at how little attention we had been spending on our employees over the last, probably two or three decades, really kind of at the turn of the fourth industrial revolution, we started to see so much focus on automation, so much focus on digital transformation that we kind of left the employees behind as we really pivoted towards making sure that customers had all they wanted. And I think Ray mentioned, right, he's going to be talking about his customer experience awards and what they found from their research, right? Everybody is squarely focused on that customer experience and instead leaving that employee experience behind. So it led me to uh, you know, want to write the second book, which comes out next year. We'll be focused uh, all on this topic. Oh, great. Ray, you're on mute. Ray, rookie mistake. Yeah. <laughs>
0: no, no, no. A lot of noise back here. Um, so if you think about employee experience and you think of processes and the technology here, like we're really building for what we call machine scale, right? And we're taking the employee out of that human scale. And so the question is, what happens when you think about the employee experience and the processes and all the things that are happening behind that, right? I mean, there's so much friction. Uh, and and that's where people are trying to take that out of the out of the area. But you also talk about the fact that there's machines and humans working together uh, in, in harmony as well and really how to get the employees to shine. So talk a little bit about that, really how technology is augmenting where employees are working versus um, working against or sometimes working for, you know, having the technology work for the employee as opposed to against the employee.
2: Yeah, as luck would have it, last week, I was actually speaking at a, a session at the World Economic Forum in um, Geneva, Switzerland, and we were talking about their stat, about 50% of employees will have to reskill themselves. And that was really about that, to, Ray, to your point, right, that automating to remove that human touch for scale, for productivity, really trying to accelerate that and how those jobs will have to reskill, right, to be prepared for what's coming in the future, Um, but there is also the reskilling of jobs that are not going to be replaced, right? That augmentation of take some of that laborious tasks off my plate, you know, pick, for example, sellers, 66% of their time is spent on non-selling activities, but really didn't we hire them to sell? And that number has remained fairly constant for almost 15 years. And at the same time, they're not achieving quota, but 50% of the time. And in that time, imagine all the improvements we've made to marketing technology, to sales technology, to customer service technology, yet with all those advancements, we've not seen the amount of time spent selling going up. And so this is where, to your point, right, the process side of the business, the operational side of the business really has to have this new mindset of it has to be focused on that employee, whatever role they're going to do, where and how can we use technology to augment that, to give them success now, right? Not five years from now or three years from now, but today to allow them to do those things that once again, going back to that employee experience mm-hmm. that they show up and want to do, that they're committed to do, that they're satisfied, they're engaged, they get the value and joy out of what they do every day. And opening five applications to do your job in a simple, quick 90-second customer service call is not it. Right. <laughs> it's not
3: right, it. Right. You know, uh, we started the conversation talking about your projections of 2023. Um, I, I look at just the last 12 months. You know, go back 12 months ago, and you know, mortgage rates in the for our new home could be in the twos, low threes. We were talking about a potential full employment recession, where in the tech space, for everyone looking for a job, there were like three jobs available. And now, fast forward to the last month. Uh, you know mortgage rates in the sevens, in the tech space, tens of thousands of uh, staff reductions, uh, p- perhaps hundreds of thousands I can think of tens of thousands with just five or six companies. So it seems like a mat- like a really quick pendulum shift to employers um, looking for efficiencies, looking for optimizations, automation, uh, and, and, and not specifically driven completely by growth. Uh, what are your thoughts about, you know, which one of these chapters are going to really matter next year where there's maybe more wartime CXOs uh, than peacetime CXOs? Because frankly, the last 10 years, it's been peacetime CXOs. Money's flowing everywhere and, you know, everyone's a unicorn and you can choose wherever you wanted to go. I just don't feel that that's the climate now, and I don't see that changing in the foreseeable near future. Uh, your thoughts?
2: <clears throat> yeah, and, and I would. Here's what I would say, Vala. I'd say that ultimately, um, if you look back at the last recession, 2008-9, um, we saw those brands that doubled down and didn't mm-hmm. cut costs to sort of find and realize profitable growth mm-hmm. far exceeded when we came out the other side of it. So I'm worried now. That companies are making the wrong decision in cutting costs um, because it's inefficient. Now, if it's just too many people, that's a different conversation. But if it's inefficient because the hard work hasn't been done on the infrastructure. So for example, this past week, Frontier Airlines, you know, a, a US-based discount airline, completely shut down its human-based call center. It's gone. You cannot call you cannot speak to a human it's either going to be a bot it's going to be you know online chat it's going to be whatsapp or via social media and so all of it by the way according to the article i read right was about cutting costs it wasn't about hold on a second what do customers expect how has that changed over the last couple of years instead it was completely a cost decision and if you run a call center as a cost Um, Basis, you're always gonna make the wrong decision because it's not a cost center, right? It's really an opportunity for growth. So I think that this goes to the heart of what you were talking about. The decisions that you make right now, I'd say number one, if you're talking about those paths, right, customer-based penetration, taking care of those customers that you have, but then also getting back to basics and optimizing your environment, You know, digital transformation, we've spent billions of dollars on technology. And Ray, you probably know this stat better than I do. Mm -hmm. What percentage of those digital transformation projects actually deliver the intended result? What percentage? I don't know the number. Ray, what is it?
3: You're
0: you're lucky if it's about seventeen percent. So okay.
2: So there you go. Seventeen percent. If it's seventeen percent. Okay, so you're lucky. lucky. So what's happened is the tech stack has gotten fat. You know, I was uh, Eloqua or Eloqua, however you s- want to say it. I was their beta client in 2001, literally. I was their first yes. or second client ever. And back then there was like six <laughs> marketing technology products. The second of which I was a beta client was Constant Contact. Like I'm really dating myself here. <laughs> so there was maybe- so eight- Who were you
0: on Goldmine? I'm just kidding.
2: <laughs> yeah. I yeah. Learned- and listen, I used to use Goldmine in a single user version of Act. Like, you know, and I, you know, oh, I, I used wow. a DOS-based yeah. PC. Anyway. Oh, my I, goodness. Now we're going back.
0: All, all right, right. All right. Here we go. Well,
2: okay. How about WordPerfect? Let's yeah. just call it the way it is. Anyway. So if you think back then, there was maybe eight marketing technology products. Now, the you know, the MarTech that's tracked by the analyst community is north of 9,000. So there's no shortage of technology to do all these things. There's no shortage. And so where we've failed is in the rigor around process, in the rigor around consolidation and optimization, instead of throwing technology at the problem, really doing the hard work. So to your question, Vala, this is the time to dig in and fix a lot of those things, Mm. um, which may in in fact cost you a little upfront more than you want. But in the long run, right, you are far better off in the end. Um, You know, we've just finished doing a state of sales report that's coming out in in a week. Um, And one of the things we really dug into was this tech stack um, for, you know, sales and marketing and how it's gotten so fat that just the people who have to work in those systems and tools are only spending 28% of their time selling, which is insanity, (laughs)
0: <laughs> so much time wasted just keeping those things in place. Nothing as ambient. It is a challenge. And I think you know people are reducing their spend right now. We're hearing that and actually working with folks. So definitely some amazing things. But hey, we're with Tiffany Bova, global growth evangelist at Salesforce. This has been some interesting uh, I, you know, trends on the 2023 growth trends. Thank you so much. And of course, we're looking forward to what you're talking about in the employee experience. And you can follow Tiffany at Tiffany underscore Bova on Twitter, so. Thank, you so, Thank, you, Thank, Thank you, you so much for being here. Thanks for growth IQ. Get Growth IQ in Korean. So
3: <laughs> it's I think I think it's the number one business book in Korea. Yes, yeah, the number one business book in Korea. <laughs> yeah, It's pretty impressive. <laughs> I'm really like, wow. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Okay, our next – so we've talked about, you know, technology and culture and clearly the important role of leadership. And we're going to spend the next segment learning about what it means to be a Great, strong leader. Dr. Richard Winters is author of You're the Leader, Now What? Uh, Dr. Richard is a practicing emergency physician, uh, Dr. Winters, uh, at Mayo Clinic, and author of You're the Leader, Now What? Leadership Lessons from the Mayo Clinic. As Director of Leadership Development for Mayo Clinic Care Network, Dr. Winters facilitates retreats and delivers programs that train leaders at healthcare organizations worldwide. Dr. Winters graduated from Mayo Clinic, uh, Alex School of Medicine. Uh, he's board certified and resident trained in emergency medicine from the University of California. Prior to his work at Mayo Clinic, Dr. Winters served as managing partner of a physician group chair of emergency medicine, president of an 800 physician medical staff and CEO co-founder of a managed care startup. You can follow Dr. Winters um, uh, on, on Twitter at Dr. R Winters. Welcome Dr. Winters to Disrupt TV.
1: Hey, thank you for having me. That was a little long. I think I'm someone who cares for patients and helps leaders. That's just a simple thing.
3: Yeah. I love that. I love that. I love that. <laughs> well, we're, so,
0: we're so excited to have you here. And it's, it's awesome, right? I mean, when you think about, you know, where you're, I mean, all the work that has, has happened over the last three years, uh, and more importantly, all the work that you've done uh, before that, um, understanding leaders and understanding where they fit with fears and worries, right? How does that impact? decision-making, as you think about that and what you've written in your book.
1: Yeah, it's been a bit uh, busy lately, hasn't it? I mean, the past few years. Yes, it has. And so there's been a lot of changes. And so as things are changing, I think there's a couple ways that leaders can approach things. We want leaders who are agile, who can make decisions on one hand. On the other hand, we also need leaders who can bring lots of different perspectives together. And as we're in these moments of change, there's oftentimes fears and worries that are underlying what's going on. And the, the leader themselves may have those fears and worries. And then certainly the individuals that they're working with have fears and worries. Um, what often happens is we start to move forward is we start to push for the change without acknowledging the fears and worries. And then those fears and worries are like the monsters in the darkness that will come up and just chew up strategy. And so I think it's, it's actually very important to acknowledge, to understand the fears and worries and then to use those sort of as the energy to move forward and figure out how you can kind of decrease those fears and worries from happening.
0: Now, do uh, you use those fears and worries to, oh, do you use those fears and worries to question best practices or you use those fears and worries as a tool along the way? So.
1: Yeah, right. And so, yeah, so during times of change, we have best practice that we, there's things that we do on a day by day basis that are very helpful for us. Um, so, so for me, we have a trauma patient that comes in and we have 20 people in the room each of us knows what to do. And we have these kind of these uh, things that we all go step by step, these best practices that we do. But sometimes we find that these best practices no longer work and we need to recognize that. Yeah. And so yeah. sometimes our best practices turn into uh, I mean, they're actually past practice, right? <laughs> best practices, by definition, past practice. And so you'll have these individuals in the room on the one hand saying, but we already know what to do. And then others looking forward and trying to innovate and saying, you know what, that, that no longer holds, And so fears and worries are one of those things that underlie moving forward. We also need to destroy these uh, these past practices that no longer work.
3: I recently discovered your Twitter feed and I'm like, wow, this 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 guy knows really how to tweet well. Uh, (laughs) uh, No, I I love your lists; They're very thought provoking. Uh, One of them recently, uh, you said, uh, let's talk of burnout more discussions about autonomy fairness values resources process relationships self acceptance workloads recovery culture opportunity yeah. get to specifics measure them discover them improve them yeah. wow in 280 characters you wow <laughs> uh, so so i guess writing a book uh, you know you 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 you, you can brevity is the soul of wisdom i can see it in your tweets how, so how can leaders um, recognize burnout? Emergency physician, obviously, you live in a highly intense, you know, life or death scenarios often. And, and how, so how do you recognize burnout and, and its impact on your colleagues, your environment, your surroundings, the performance uh, and, 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 and the quality of life that you're trying to improve And when you're working?
1: Yes. I mean, so burnout is a huge thing and, and emergency medicine, you know, yeah it tops the list. And so, I mean, if you go online and you look at burnout, you'll see a lot of individuals just kind of blaming the universe, blaming their <laughs> leaders, blaming the attorneys, blaming the president, and you know, all these sorts of things. And um, how helpful is that to be the victim? I mean, really, I mean, we have difficult situations, but so, and, and I'm an executive coach, I coach many of our leaders. And one of the questions I would say is, so given that, now what? I mean, are you gonna stay a victim or are you gonna try to find some, some ways to, to push forward? And so I think from an organizational perspective, it's really important burnout. I mean, this isn't just like uh, you know, touchy feely sort of stuff. If our colleagues are burned out, our quality is gonna decrease, satisfaction is going to decrease, we're gonna have increased churn. And so it's one of these things that we need to do something about. As a, an emergency physician, I take care of patients, I look at vital signs. Mm. And so as organizations, revenue, cost, burnout, these are the vital signs. If we're not looking at them, then we're gonna have a sick organization. And so then, but we just can't talk about burnout. We need to be talking about then, so what do we do given this? And so given this, I think the language is more towards well-being. And so we look for those things where we're aligned in purpose, both organizationally and individual. Um, we, We look for where we can have autonomy, where we can make changes, where we can discover the things, where we can actually find some efficacy and do something about that. Many organizations measure staff engagement and things like that, Many organizations also get those numbers and then do very little about that. And so I think the goal is for us not to say, yes, we're burned out, but now what are we going to do? Let's move forward.
3: We had, uh, really? uh, we had behavioral research uh, uh, professor from Stanford on our show last week, Dr., uh, Professor B.J. Fogg, and he said behavior equals uh, motivation plus ability plus prompt. So he said, if you want to drink a glass of water or multiple glasses a day, he keeps a glass of water in front of him throughout the day. So it's a prompt for him to, to drink more water uh, as an example of use of prompt. What are some prompts? Like, is it an exit interview for most companies before they realize that there's burnout is in, their, in, their, in their environment? What are some of the prompts that leaders should be looking for in real time or pseudo real time so that it, they, they realize uh, before somebody quits, that they, or before somebody gets sick or, or is a low performer, that they're, they're susceptible to burnout.
1: I think there's a problem here with language. And if you, uh, so I give a talk about burnout to all of our new uh, physician and scientists that come through Mayo Clinic. And so it'll be 150 people at once. And, and I'll ask questions like, so how many of you can name six causes of metabolic acidosis? Everyone raises their hand. How many of you can name <laughs> the 12 cranial nerves? They all raise their hand. How many of you can name the components of you, demonic well-being? crickets <laughs> all right so so as physicians and scientists we know that you know all these little details about ourselves but we don't know even the. Spe- we don't have a language we don't understand the specific domains of well-being and so I think for a leader that is one of the key things is to under have some language some framework to work off of and so for me I, I love the eudaimonic well-being and as a physician I, I put together a mnemonic pagers Yes, we still wear pagers, maybe weird to you, but I'll on a shift, I'll have three pagers. So uh, pagers, P is purpose. So an alignment with purpose. A is autonomy, our sense that we're being heard and we can affect the, the environment. G is personal growth. Like we're in this organization and we're wanting to do more and more. E is environmental mastery. Do we have the things that we need to get the job done? R is relations, and so are we having an organization where we're relating with each other well, or are we kind of bickering up amongst each other? And then, and then S, which is the final thing, and I see this at all levels, is actually self-acceptance, which is our ability to accept we make mistakes, and we can move on from that. And so as a leader, as I'm working with a colleague and I sense that there's burnout, I may be able to explore each of those areas and try to get a sense of how can I connect them back with their well-being what are the things that I can do? What are the resources I can kind of allot to them to help them move forward?
0: You know, related to that, how, how do leaders actually recognize the limits of their expertise or, or even get to a point of, you know, being able to create a shared reality as well, uh, given all the things that are happening in the background from what they're doing?
1: Yeah. So as an emergency physician, right, I go, I go into a room and I see a patient, ask a, a few questions, and then what do I do? I go out and I write orders. <laughs> like they don't, they don't call them suggestions. I write orders. Right. And no. so, okay, nope. there's some things that aren't working so well. And I become a leader. Let me step into a, a conference room with a bunch of people. I'm going to write orders. It's not going to work out so well.
0: No. Right? no and so
1: <laughs> the, I mean, I do have expertise and so I have a perspective, but so do everyone. So does everyone else that I'm working alongside. And so behind my perspectives are also my blind spots. And so mm. it's, it's so important. And you know, it's, I think you can easily see a physician, a surgeon as as being someone who understands and knows what to do in the moment. But how do we then put that expertise down and try to develop shared perspective to try to see around our blind spots and collectively get all these different points of view first, before we start to decide what we're going to do. Most of the meetings I'm in, we jump to like the, the way forward. And so we're making decisions behind a single one or two individuals kind of perspectives and their blind spots much better to have a leader try to gather some information in these times where we have some time and move forward with a shared perspective.
3: Anything you say makes uh, so much sense and it it's just appears like common sense. But I, I have to tell you when I, as I'm listening to you and I think about my career as, a, as early in my career, I was fortunate to manage large teams and you know, I was a shitty manager. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, I, 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 no,
1: I, 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 I don't I, believe it. Don't believe it.
3: Well, so, 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 so I would, I would study a, a particular domain, uh, think about it consciously, subconsciously. So when I would be in a meeting and somebody would present a point of view, I was very quick to either agree with them or disagree with them. And if I disagree with them, I would just, and here's why. And so I was doing most of the talking I didn't have a beginner's mindset, I didn't have humility in the way I approached because I felt like, man, I'm putting in the reps. I've thought about this thing for months, and here you are, just brains, you know, playing devil's advocate. So I just felt like I had a short fuse, low temperament. I don't, I don't know how to describe it, but I felt I could justify it because I was in the gym putting in the reps. Um, so how do you, especially when you're a physician, like you know, you're, you're, you've got deep expertise? How do you encourage team members? to be comfortable to challenge Dr. Winters, right. who's, a, who's a certified leadership, certified you know, retreat yeah. expert. How do you welcome people to want to you know, share their point of view when they're in the presence of uh, you know, a world renowned expert? Yeah. So
0: there was and there, and paper- there are no egos in medicine, so don't worry about that. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. So there was a great paper uh, out of McKinsey Quarterly a few, I don't know, a few yeah. years back where they were talking about what's most important, process or analysis. And so for me, I can, I mean, I can have spreadsheets, all this experience, all, I mean, all these things, I've gone deep. I know the information and this is what we need to do. That's my analysis. But again, embedded in there is my blind spot. And so this analysis, it may make sense. I've already thought Val, what you you think. And and Ray, I've I've already considered what you have to say. But after careful consideration, I've come to the conclusion, you're incorrect. And we're going (laughs) to proceed with my plan. Like that can move forward. And it feels so good because I have all the details. But again, like, how do we move move forward in these times that are really complex is we need to pull together, because each Mm -hmm. of you has a perspective of the world that I do not have. And so it's actually process. How do we develop a process where we develop this shared reality before we decide the options. And before we go to way forward, like we want to row forward as opposed to rowing backwards. Hmm. And so that's you, so, no, you, no, do, you ask point. the leader asks, so what are the perspectives? And sometimes you're in groups where people feel free to share and you write these things down so we can see it because sometimes someone will repeat it and you'll be like, yeah, we've already written that down here. Is there anything else you want to say? You know, you do that. Yeah. Sometimes people feel unsafe. And so, I mean, the, a great thing about Zoom is you can have some breakout rooms and you can have people share things together. Then you can have group report outs and that way it's not coming from winters or, you know, or, or anyone specific. And then things kind of bubble up in that way.
3: When did you when did you uh, when did you have this beginner's mindset or servant leadership approach to your to to your to your to your, to your uh, uh, in in your career in your work uh, Was did you have a mentor or a sponsor that you looked up to and you said Wow, the the way there's kindness and grace in how he or she manages my work, I feel better about myself, better sense of belonging, mattering. Or was it just naturally you 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 know because a parents environment. You always had this uh, appreciation of good leadership.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, So a lot of it is similar to you. Like I felt like I was a great manager and stuff, but then I realized that I was not a good manager. I was not a good leader. And so a lot of it's the pain points that I myself was feeling and and the things that I saw that were not occurring in the way I wanted. That's number one. Number two, I think we've all sat in those meetings where you're you're with a leader who's like, you know, Ray, what do you think? And then you say what you think. And then they're, they're like, you're like, you feel like an idiot. Why did I even speak up? What's happening here? And then you're wondering, like, what am I doing wrong? Maybe I should have said it in a different way, but actually they were never listening to you. And so it's it's that those two things like the pain that you just feel we all feel as we're, da- we're facing these complex situations. And then you read a lot and you try to figure out there must be some better way. And and then the nice thing about executive coaching is so as an executive coaching leaders at all levels, the most senior leaders I'm, I'm seeing, that you know what? They're experiencing this, too.
3: Hmm. And
1: they're asking these questions like, now what? What do I do? And so with the book, one of the things I hope to do was was something that they can just open up when they're facing these really difficult situations, when their colleagues are disagreeing and they're all bickering and they're looking to them like, what do you do when they're having one to one conversations with someone who's burned out? When there's fears and worries, how do you surface these sort of things? So common, we all, we all experience it, but yet we don't necessarily have the framework to, to think about it and like to get through it.
0: You know, you also mentioned some important pieces, right? How do you spark engagement, right? How do you get people to even participate? Because back to your point earlier, I mean, some people might be afraid, right? They might be in an environment that, that doesn't support that or make that easy to happen. And then the other piece that was interesting in your book was really talking about thinking before reacting. Right. Instead of yeah. just jumping right in. Right. How do people do that? Because there's different styles of leadership. Some people are very quick to make a decision. Other people are very pensive. And and we looked at different leadership models in the past. Like, how, how does that tie back to a person's leadership style? Yeah, yeah is, totally.
3: It, is most thinking reflexive versus reflective? Like, is right. do, do most do great leaders do, uh, purposefully pause before they uh, share their you know their their guidance uh, yeah is, is-
1: I think I think you're right I mean I think it is a purposeful thing and so for, like imagine you walk into a room and on your right is a as a this baby and on the left is an angry wolf which one are you going to pick up <laughs> right like i think most of us are going to say we're going to pick up the baby this is good for us to know like it's going to keep us from getting hit by buses but now you're going to go to work and they're going to ask you some really complex thing like how do we best uh, alter our schedule how do we best um uh, you know alter our product to meet the demands of customers and those sorts of things and we still have these like reflexive this is what we're going to do based on our experience this is normal this is normal but then uh, this is probably not the best thing like my expertise here has some limitations i have some blind spots and i think our best leaders, our best individuals are able to then say, wait, whoa, let me, I can, I can put this expertise out here, but now let me step back. And there's a, a metaphor that Ron Heifetz out of Harvard used, which is the <laughs> dance floor and the balcony. And this is the concept that as we're going throughout <laughs> our day, right, we're on the dance floor and we're hearing the music yep. and we're responding. And if someone says something, we can kind of predict, and we're going to respond next to them. It's kind of the synchrony that we have, but then it's helpful though at times to go up onto the balcony. And as we look down on the dance floor from the balcony, We start to see things differently. We start Mm -hmm. to see maybe other aspects of the room that we had not seen when we were there on the dance floor. We start to see ways that we might move or react differently. And our best leaders bring their colleagues up onto the balcony so we can start to look at these things in different ways. It's a very purposeful Mm
3: -hmm. thing. I like that perspective. I've watched Ray do breakdancing, and it's quite a scene. Um, So, (laughs) so, (laughs) Dr. Dr. Winters, uh, uh, again, our, our, our... our guest last week talked to us about tiny habits, things that we could do right away to develop behaviors that can align us to our goals and objectives. What can people, what do you hope people get from reading You're the Leader What Now? What can they they do as maybe a new year resolution? Or although we had Tom Peters on the show and he said excellence is not about next year, next month. Excellence is about the next five minutes. It's the next email, the next meeting, the next presentation. But are there things that we could, put into practice so that we come, become better le- uh, leaders and hopefully leave people better than when we found them.
1: Yeah, so I think our best leaders are able to look at themselves. I mean, they're, they're able to analyze like, how am I doing? They're able to look at how they're leading others one-to-one and they're able to figure out how to lead groups. And so I think in each of these spaces, there's something to do. We've been talking about in leading groups, how do you gather, kind of gain shared perspective? And so I think tactic number one is to get off the dance floor get on the balcony and try to figure out how to like, what are other people thinking? What are their perspectives? So that's the group situation. I think for the one-to-one situation, we want to stop being individuals who know and start being coaches. And so we want to, and so what does a coach do? So I, we, we hear about mentorship versus coaching. As I'm mentoring a colleague, I'm up on the balcony alongside them and I'm, and I have a lot of experience and I'm telling them what I see based on my experience of what's going on in their situation. So I'd say, Ray, hey, you know, I, I would I, I think you should consider this based on my experience, this is what I would do, or this is this is what I'm seeing. When I'm coaching, I'm not helping my colleagues see through my eyes, I'm helping them see through their eyes. Mm. And so when a colleague comes to me and they're burned out, a colleague comes to me and they're wanting to advance in their career, I don't think it's so helpful for me to tell them what I'm seeing through my eyes. I think it's better for me to be asking questions to help them make sense of the world and try to find out what's best for them. And so I'm going to coach. On the one hand, I hear you saying this. On the other hand, I hear you saying that. How do you put these things together? What have you seen work? What would you like to do? Just a very different perspective. And the cool thing is, is that for both of these situations, whether you're leading one to one or groups, you don't need to have the answer yourself, but you can have others. You can help others facilitate the best answer. And that is going to be the best answer. And then, I, I love that. And then, as we're thinking about ourselves, the same thing. I mean, there's things that I do that, I, you know, six months from now, I'm going to think I was an idiot for doing, and it's going to require me getting on the balcony and thinking, you know, what was working and what's not working, and trying to change myself and be more effective.
3: Smart people often change their minds. Yeah, That's my my experience, and I love the distinction you make between mentor and coach, and and I love the way that you talk about, you know, um, you know, helping you. Yeah, teaching you how to think, not what to think. Um, and, and and that's that's important. Go ahead, Ray.
0: Yeah. Oh no! I was gonna say this has been very, very helpful. I mean, really, in terms of leadership and leadership styles, it applies to all types of leadership models that you have in place. Um, I, I think you know the, the the checklist that you have there. I think uh, the couple ones that I, I really like was align behavior with values and and drive and achieve results because all that talk and all that hot air, is, you know, you're an ER surgeon, right? You're like ER and You're like we gotta get shit done now, right? And that's very, very different, you know. Than, than other folks, where well, there's no bias for action, which is which is part of it. So, but hey, thank you for being here. It's Dr. Richard Winters, author of the "You're the Leader." Now what? Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Dr. Winters, uh, D R R Winters, uh, and of course, more importantly, get his book on Amazon called "You're the Leader." So, thanks a lot.
3: Thanks, so and much. congratulations. Thanks, congratulations, thank you. Okay, <laughs> 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 well, I got to pause a bit because. Uh, you know, anytime you have like two two great authors, practitioners, business leaders, back to back, a lot of les- lot of things to unwrap. Um, but we're not done with unwrapping because, um, Ray, I want you to talk about the Cxo Business Confidence Survey. Uh, again, you can't watch the news uh, today uh, and and not see presence of confidence, in some cases, low confidence, in a lot of cases, low confidence, uh, because of the uncertainties that exist at the macro level, micro level. So can you talk about uh, starting starting with, you know, who did you survey? Uh, And it's called, you know, the CXO business confidence survey. Who did you survey?
0: Yeah, Vala, it's very, very important, right? We have a base of a 1,000 CXOs in our network. They're built for our top transformation leaders, folks that are part of the Constellation Executive Network. We took a small sample and slice of those folks, about 78 individuals uh, filled this out. These are chief digital officers, CTOs, CIOs of some of the biggest companies around the world, mostly North American-focused in this cut. And we wanted to ask them, what do you think? So in October, late September, we said, Hey, how are you feeling? What, what does revenue look like? How are you get with profits? Are you hiring? You know, because since May, coming out of the World Economic Forum, they've just been trying to psych us into a recession. And so you keep hearing recession's coming. This is bad. Everything's in, but then the numbers pop up and it's like, oh, employment's up, right? Unemployment's down. Sorry. You know, hiring is up, right? Uh, you know, revenues are still being made, earnings are still making their calls, and it's really confusing out there. So we said, okay, let's just do this, let's take a cut and see what happens.
3: Uh, do you have a sense of how many industries were represented in the nearly 80 surveys that you, that you conducted?
0: Yeah, it's about 14 different industries, um, including public sector. Uh, we looked at a wide range, consumer, energy, telco, tech, of course, right? retail, CPG, manufacturing, uh, trying to figure out what's going on, healthcare as well. And, and you know, we wanted to know where people's sentiment were. And these were the people that were building the budgets and putting the budgets in play.
3: Give me a uh, top three findings, uh, an abbreviated summary of what you found.
0: Yeah, so what was very interesting is when we asked the question about, hey, what do you expect in the next six months well, uh, for revenue? Um, almost, I'd say, uh, about 80% that were significantly increased or moderately increased in terms of revenue. So they thought things were going to go well. So we said, okay, what's happening with profits? And we had about 61%, say, profits are going to be up. So whether it's significantly increased or moderately increased. And then we asked him about hiring. What are you doing with hiring? Well, it was about 9% it was significantly increased, but 46% said it was going to moderately increase. And that's pretty huge, right? So we're like, oh, okay, all things are rosy. This is going to be great. Uh, and then we said, okay, so what's going on here? Uh, what, what are you betting on, right? Why, why are these things, right? why are you betting on these things? What are the most important business issues that are in the back of your mind? And overwhelmingly, said labor availability and quality, we're not getting the right people, we're not getting them on board, right? They're not the right level of certification or, you know, but we're just dealing with it. And then the second one was interesting. Normally, it's like, oh, we're worried about cybersecurity worried about all this kind of stuff. It was operational challenges, right? They Mm -hmm. just couldn't get their operations back up and running. And then the third thing was innovation, uh, at about 26%. And then about 24% was inflation and interest rates. And then the one that's usually number 1 was cybersecurity at about 21%, almost wow. 22. Wow.
3: 8 out of 10 revenue growth, 6 out of 10 efficiency and 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 profit and 40 47 and 8 yeah so about 58% looking to hire at some capacity but the challenge is finding the right person for the job. and that you know that 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 makes sense because again it's a more decentralized world so you just maybe have to expand your your net. To find the right uh, right, right talents. Where are they investing? If you're in these 78 CXOs, 14 industries, where are they investing?
0: Yeah. So what was strange was normally you'd see investment categories focused on you know cloud or 5G or like some of the traditional areas. But this year is very different because of all those business issues. Automation was number one. 72% of those business leaders were focused on automation, then AI, because they wanted the exponential advantage. And from what we can tell, and then of course, analytics, like they're used to the real time information. And uh, and it was about cloud. So 72% are automation, 58% on AI, 54% on analytics and, of course, 53% on cloud. And then after that, it was a steep drop-off to like big data, blockchain, Metaverse. I mean, some things were like Metaverse was in the single digits. 5G was in the single digits.
3: Wow. So any of it surprise you? Did any of the investment priorities surprise you? Did something stand out that, that you would disagree with? So I'm, you're a CEO of a company. Uh, let's say your company is now an enterprise, thousands of employees, hundreds, tens of thousands of customers. Is it is it is it uh, automation uh, followed by machine learning and AI followed by uh, I don't know what the third one was it, escaped, it escapes me uh, analytics uh, analytics are those three that should be top three for all all all, all sectors.
0: It is, especially as we're going into a digital world. I mean, those are the three basics that are required uh, to be able to do that. Analytics, ask the right business question, Automation, get that business, get that information and insights built into the organization. AI, so that we actually build a business graph and the intelligence, uh, pull all that tribal and urban knowledge together, bring the ability to bring all your insights so that you can actually take action at institutional and longitudinal level, right? All those things are there. And that's that's been pretty exciting. But so, 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 the most surprising question was, yeah, keep going. Right.
3: Yeah, so speed, personalization, and intelligence seem to be currencies that matter to all these CXOs. All of them seem to want to deliver value at the speed of need, which means you do have to invest in automation. You have to improve decision velocity with analytics. And I was with an academic yesterday, and he told me that 90% of uh, information our human brain processes is is visual. And uh, on average, it takes only 13 milliseconds for us, uh, the human brain, to process Uh, of visual uh, information and that's 60,000 times faster than text Uh, uh, and 65% retention of visual versus only 10% when we hear information so this is why we do our video show so they don't only hear us they see us too Uh, but uh, so what's the sentiment when you ask these 78 executives CXOs in terms of 2023 it seems like it should be positive no?
0: Yeah, they should be all excited. But then we asked that final question, right? So do you think 2023 will be better than 2022? And the answer was no, 66% said no, right? So after saying, hey, we're gonna spend more, revenue is gonna be great, profits are gonna be amazing. It's all gonna be rosy. They're like, no. And so this was the part that was the most interesting. We're like, what's going on here? And we had a CXO meeting this, uh, this morning with some folks and we were just asking what's going on. They're like, well, we submitted these budgets. And the CFOs are like, you know what, we're going to hold off just a little because we have no idea what's going to happen. We're still growing. Our revenues are amazing, but the whole world is cautious. So, okay, we'll take like a little cut, a 5% cut or 20% cut or a 10% cut here. Uh, And if things look better, we're just going to keep adding to the budget. But for now, you know, it's there's that weird dichotomy of like, the economy looks awful. It's going to be in a recession. We're going to keep psyching ourselves into a recession. And if we keep doing this, yeah, we will psych ourselves into a recession. Uh, so are they are,
3: are they are are they back ending their budgets where it's just a pause in investment? So it may not be in fiscal Q1, Q2, but they can get that shiny toy or whatever to help grow their business in Q3, Q4? Or are they literally taking... 10% from top line or 5%, and you just have to spend less in fiscal 23 or calendar 23.
0: We talked to a chief digital officer this morning. She basically said, look, we prioritized our list and we're not going to start anything that's on our lower priority. We're going to wait for things. And if we hit a certain threshold, we're going to keep investing. Um, they know what their their budget they want to do is. There's the budget that they're going to buy adhere to, unless if they're still growing at you know the rates that they're growing uh, in the high double digits, they're going to keep adding because they're like, this is ridiculous. So, so people the, are being when, cautionary.
3: When was the last time you did a CXO business confidence survey where you saw uh, evidence of budget cutbacks? When was the last time you recall that there was either a deliberate pause or an actual reduction in, in spend?
0: Two Q2, years, two, five years? 20, Q2 2020. People oh, thought the going to do that Be- at yeah. the beginning of the pandemic. And then by Q4, they had doubled down on tech. Right. It was like full on tech spending because they didn't have a chance. You were, you go digital or you die. And that was yeah. where we were.
3: Yeah. And you don't think so. that's still true? Do you, do you think businesses have caught up where if they're not investing in a modern tech stack that they can compete and win? Or is this just this is. This is the nature they of They have
0: to play catch up. They may hire less people and put more into technology. All I can see is tech spending is still going to be good for quite some time. There'll be some rationalization with vendors, that's what we talked about. People are starting contract negotiations, trying to reduce some cost structure, but at the end of the day, they know this is the way to scale because they can't hire enough people and they don't have the talent in front of them. So they're going to uh, scale with tech.
3: How can we get access to the survey?
0: it's actually available on the website just fill it out uh, go to constellation and you can get to the survey and uh yeah copy give me send out for folks
3: excellent excellent okay uh this wraps up uh this week's episode uh next week we are episode 303 303 we have jonathan wow. rickett <laughs> me too i know when i hear that it's like that's amazing uh that's we're getting close to thousand <laughs> thousand interviews right we have to celebrate the thousandth interview. Uh, maybe a giveaway. Maybe we give you a book away to the thousandth interview. Uh, uh, <laughs> we'll get a, uh, we get a
0: limited mug with you and I and yeah, for the yeah. new picture.
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we have uh, Dr. Jonathan Reichental, founder, professor, and author. He's going to talk about his new book. We have, this is an honor, we have Senator Phil Graham. Senator Phil Graham, author of The Myth of American Inequality, How Government Bias Policy Debate, Biases uh, Policy Debate. And we have Linda Yates, author of The Unicorn Within. So three extraordinary authors, one long-serving senator. Uh, yes. So it's going to be a, a, an amazing show if it's Friday if Disrupt TV. Ray, closing remarks.
0: You know, it's been amazing. We had two amazing uh, authors about leadership growth, uh, you know, thought leaders in their fields, thought leaders outside of their fields, I, I think it's really important to learn these lessons, as we are starting to see changing markets changing conditions, it's gonna be useful to actually work within yourself, right? Learn more about yourself, how people react to you, and, and build those skill sets. Uh, growth is still going to be super important, your ability to actually inspire others and lead, it's going to be important. Like you and I were sitting in a room once, and we're like, looking around, we're like, holy crap, we're the adults. And then we're like, oh, crap, it's us. What happened? We're like, we're now in charge, right? So we better, we better get some leadership chops. Otherwise, uh, we're going to be in trouble. Take action, get some leadership in place and, uh, you know, and, and, and focus on growth. But hey, with that, you know, thanks a lot for being on the show. Happy holidays. And of course, we have two more episodes to go. So welcome.
3: See you next week. Uh-huh.